up, everyone? We're back with another episode of the Dub Justin Podcast. And today I have a very special guest, Mr. Matt Crawley. Matt, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Just got off work feeling good. Um, so for people that don't know who you are, briefly explain um, what you do and what your title is with, with, the, with the UFC. Sure. Again, my name is Matt Crawley, and I'm a strength conditioning coordinator at the UFC Performance Institute at the headquarters here in Las Vegas, Nevada. And my role is providing strength conditioning services daily to rostered fighters that are local or remote and working together with our interdisciplinary team. Um, So how did you want what made you want to get into strength and conditioning um, in the first place? Yeah, that's a really good question. It started out back in, I would say, middle school, like seventh or eighth grade. Started working out with one of my friends. He was a little bit bigger than me uh, in terms of stature and, and growing as well, faster than me. And I wanted to get bigger, faster, stronger, as everyone says. So I started working out with him and we would go to the high school and lift there. And I just saw, you know, what they were doing there with their strength conditioning coach, who happened to be our, our security guard at the time slash uh, uh, teacher as well. And I just started working out and really loved it. And it really resonated in me since then. And it's always been something I've wanted to do and, and provide help to others. I, I didn't grow as big as I wanted to t- height wise. It wasn't that ideal athlete you would see at a, a division one level, but I always thought there were things that I could have done better growing up and training that I would like to give back to athletes and, and people in general for human health performance. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because um, my hometown, Noblesville, Indiana, we had a strength coach, a strength conditioning coach by the name of Brian Clark. I don't know if you have heard of him or anything like that. He's he's fairly well known. Uh, it sounds familiar, but I'd have to kind of do a little bit more digging around. Yeah, he only he really only does stuff at the high school level. Um, he branched out from from my school, but he he pretty much built our uh, strength and conditioning. And we were the largest in the country for high schools. We had over 700 kids in the program during the school day. So we had like 350 kids um, one day and then 350 kids the next. And one thing that always stuck with me that he talked about was uh, you're, you're going to regret not giving it your all when you go to the next level or um, you stop playing sports or whatever. So, I mean, I can I, th- I really resonate with that, with what you were talking about. How like I realized how I didn't give enough effort and then how some of my teammates didn't give enough effort and how good we could have been. Yeah, as something as parents, when they taught me growing up is really to never quit. And I know we'll be getting talking about MMA in a little bit as well. That's one of the only things I quit when I was younger. I was like eight years old. I quit karate. But after that, you know, when I could understand what was going on in the world and listen to my parents effort and attitude and never really given up is something that I've kind of tried to bring with me everywhere I go and, and showing that hard work does pay off, you know, and talent can, or hard work can outbeat talent, you know, when you work hard and, and those types of terminologies or statements really work if you put your all into it. And, and that's attitude and effort, you know? Mm-hmm. I think another part of it is people always have that mindset until adversity, until adversity hits. And then you're kind of like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm just giving up, whatever. It's not that important to me. But I think that going through adversity really builds your character. I don't know if you've had um, any adversity, like big or small, um, throughout your life that you carry to today. 
Yeah, there's there's a bunch, you know, and that kind of defines you and your character and who you want to be as a person. I've been actually going through a mentorship right now with a, a staff member and talking about times you've overcame adversity, how it changed you as a person. And there's a couple instances that really come up right now. So if you're talking about strength conditioning, there was an internship that was really renowned growing up out of uh, college. And I was turned down because I didn't have division one experience for strength conditioning. I also didn't have a really good network. So I had spent the following year volunteering and interning with as much division one teams in my area that I could and getting the experience while also enhancing a network. I actually ended up interning at a smaller division or NAI school where I got the experience, not just setting up and breaking down equipment, but actually coaching teams and writing programs and getting my hands dirty in the field and, and in, in the trenches to see what's really involved. And overcoming that adversity to get the experience and then get accepted the year later was something that I try and carry on and, and bring to me to, to pr provide to the younger aspiring coaches and what you can do to really put yourself in a position to be successful in the future, but also set yourself up. Mm -hmm. So you talked about kind of how you got your foot in the door. How did um, getting that position for being an intern transition into becoming um, a worker at the USCPI? Yeah, I ended up getting a, a full uh, a full time position after there, spent time in college, and then I had family back in New York, and uh, decided to go back home to New York, and that's where I took a position where I was previously here for the last four years. And it was something that I couldn't pass up where I had the opportunity to work with professional athletes, college athletes, and then high school as well. So I really had the whole gamut you know, from anywhere from middle school, developing athletes, long-term athletic development, and getting to see what it's like for elite level athletes and how they physically prepare for their sport. And just seeing the spectrum to really sharpen my sword is really what helped me land the position here because I became a really good generalist. And then later in life, you specialize, right? working on those skills that can really transfer to another level and contribute to a, a higher perspective or a, a just cause for human performance, which is what we do here. And then, you know, fast forward, I've been here two years and it's, it's really been awesome to be a part of such a team. Now, were you an MMA fan before you started working at the PI? Yeah, I actually was at, at my last facility. One of my close coworkers, he did jujitsu and I would coach him up on some certain things in terms of physical preparation that he could use to to bring his game to another level. And, and we would bounce ideas off each other and then we would go watch fights at, you know, the Buffalo Wild Wings and, and go to other people's houses. Yeah. And it's crazy because right before I took the job at the P.I., I, uh, I went to my first live fight ever, and it was in Buffalo. And there's a picture of me and my wife with the belt on my over my shoulder. Pretty cool. And it's just, like, so surreal to really be here right now. And, and it's different, right, when you're a fan and now when you're working with them, you're providing a service to them, and, and really you, you take your job seriously. But, yeah, it, it's, it's been surreal, to say the least. Now, you kind of cut out at the – when you said over your shoulder, I'm assuming you said belt. I couldn't quite hear you, though. Yeah, yeah. There's a replica belt, and then they had the ring girls out there, and you could pose with them. And it was pretty cool. I took a picture um, wearing it, and it shows up, you know, like on those a uh, year from now on your social media. And it's pretty cool to see where I've come from and, and be a part of this and be a part of what we're doing here for the sport as well. Do you remember who was headlining that card? 
I do. It was uh, DC and Rumble. Yeah. Actually, John. a couple of those guys came to our facility to use it at the time because uh, I used to work at a facility called Impact Sports where um, it was connected to the hotel and the arena. So they would come across the street. We actually turned our cold tub into a hot tub to help someone cut weight. No lie. Can't say who that was, but yeah, it was pretty interesting how we uh, ended up working with them a little bit. Oh, that's really cool. Um, yeah. So we're kind of, I think we're at the tail end of this pandemic and um, not being able to be fully engaged hands-on. Um, how has that impacted you as a member of the PI? So the first couple days were weird, right? You don't really know. This is the normal or this is maybe the new normal. But one of the things I would say about our department is that we want to be continually adaptable in what's going on in the world and, and be flexible to sit certain situations and how we overcome adversity, as we discussed earlier. So after talking to our director and my other coworker, we really came up with key areas that we could do to execute our our services on a remote level and then routinely at home how do we chop up our day into meetings with athletes meetings with staff what are key projects that we're working on such as our journal that we're expecting to release either late this year early next year and then staying engaged with athletes you know and obviously you have your personal and professional areas that you're adapting to as well mm -hmm. so you kind of touch on that that journal is that the PI as a whole? Because I talked to Heather Linden, she she briefly mentioned that as well. Yeah, it'll be the second version of our journal that we released a couple years ago. So the UFC PI cross sectional analysis of the MMA fighter, and then this one will be the second version of that. And it'll be a little bit more different, more um, not as specific in terms of the language, but more general and able for coaches and athletes and anyone else to digest because when we went in the first year we were really hammering you know the concepts and what we were accomplishing and it's, it's given a bigger perspective on what we received in terms of feedback as well mm -hmm. so how have you kind of approached the uh, the virtual meetings with the athletes yeah so we'll use either microsoft teams or we'll use zoom so teams is mainly for our staff our, our Las Vegas and Shanghai staff, but we'll use, you know, anything on the phone from a, a FaceTime to a WhatsApp. So international athletes will use WhatsApp. It's easier mm -hmm. for them to use. And then we'll set up times where we go over, it could be checking in with an athlete or it could be how's the program going, what's going well, what isn't, how can we adjust it. We'll meet joint phone calls with other staff members say an athlete is going to rehab, we can talk about if it is a rehab driven or is it SNC driven? Where do we fit in there? Are we in the passenger seat, PTs in the front seat and driving? And how are we making that go together to really provide, you know, the services that the athlete needs to get healthy and return back to fighting? Mm -hmm. So you kind of touched on it, but how do you and um, the PT people and the nutrition people all kind of work together? So when an athlete comes in to see us, we work with every athlete on the every sorry, every athlete on the roster has the opportunity to, to 
indulge indulge in any of our services. So you have over 650 athletes. Some might come in to want to do sports medicine only or PT. Some may only want to do dietitian work or nutrition help. Some may only want to do sports science or strength conditioning. It depends on what they come in and what they're interested in doing. And after they tell us what they want to do, we go through our consultations, testing, recommendations, and we may offer them a program or any type of remote service or a local service if they're in town. Mm-hmm. Do you, so is it always they come to you and um, you guys make a plan or do they come to you and say, hey, I want to do specifically this and then work with you to do that? Yeah. After we meet with them and we see what they're interested in doing, when we get the diagnostic testing done, we can see based off the results on areas of strength and areas of limitation and how we can make recommendations, number one. And if they're interested, we can provide them a remote program through our remote coaching software that is completely customized to that athlete for strength conditioning. But it really depends on if they're local, remote, if they have a strength coach, if they don't, because we'll work with strength coaches all across the world and we'll consult with them and their fight teams. Because in the end, our goal is to help this athlete achieve a world championship. Today, I had a phone call with an athlete that's going to fight in a, in a couple months. And we're talking about how we can adjust some of the training schedule. And that athlete has a program, but we're working together with their and their team. So it's not only that we just give them plans. We might provide a little bit of recommendations, directions, based upon what we saw when they tested here and the feedback that we're getting from that specific athlete on their fight team. When you have those consultations, um, what all are you guys looking for? So what all does that entail with the testing? First, it's really why they're here. Some may come in after a fight to see some may think that they didn't have the conditioning or they their weight cut did them in or There are other areas that they thought they overtrained. We look at some of the reasons why they came in, but we also, what's their name, age? We look at their walking around weight. We look at their weight class because when it comes to strength conditioning, there's really three categories that they're going to come under. It's performance-based, meaning they're healthy. They're on track to make weight if they get a call for a fight, or it's rehab-based where they could be a little injured. It could be after, before a fight, or during a fight camp, or you have nutrition-based, which means that it's weight management, and they might need to mitigate hypertrophy. They might need to lose more fat. It really depends on the route and where that athlete is specifically in regards to uh, coming off a a fight camp or transition period and what their goal is, too. Mm -hmm. Is it kind of difficult to tell? Like, I'm sure you have some athletes that you see more than others and you've um, created a working in, um, relationship with them. Is it harder to talk to some of those athletes and tell them, like, things that they don't want to hear compared to other athletes that say you've never met before? You know, at first I was a little skeptical of that, but at this level, you know, they're, they're high-level elite athletes, they want to get better, most of them, right? And they want to be a champion. So I was a little skeptical at first about giving them recommendations in terms of, hey, you're not good at this. This is what you really need to work on, right? But at the end of the day, if we know that's what's going to give them the tools to, you know, fill these gaps that they might have in certain parts, whether it's strength, power, capacity, aerobic conditioning, then we can really 
make some big strides in establishing this relationship and showing them how much we really care to help them in the end. And really, it depends on your delivery, too. If we're like, hey, you suck and you're not going to get better, then, yeah, I'd be turned off, too. It really depends on your delivery and your salesmanship. But in the end, we're here to help and we're here to support them. We're not here to tell them that, you know, you need to only work on this. Otherwise, you're not going to win. They they got here for a reason. There's a level of sports mastery. And we're here for the ride to, to support them and, and win a championship. Mm. Have you noticed any um, any progression, per se, of your relationships with certain athletes? So, like, oh, you've, yeah. you've become more comfortable around them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think that's important because breaking down those barriers and whatever type of stigmas there that may exist around strength conditioning and MMA or, or just sports in general, it's, it's still new. It's a new sport. It's only 26, 27 years old. So, you know, changing that culture and creating that awareness of what we can really do as a supplemental service, not take away from the sport, but also show how we can help and establish these this trust and this level of transparency where they can tell us anything and there's an open door policy. We have no relationship with the other side of the building. We're a completely different entity and everything remains confidential, especially under the laws of HIPAA and whatnot. So uh, it's, it's really cool to see how some of our relationships have grown with specific athletes. One told me last week that he's like, there's only like three people in my circle and you're one of them. And I was super flattered because you have like his, his girlfriend, his head MMA coach and me. And that's, just, again, they don't really care how much you know until you show how much you care. And that's by staying on them, how you can help support the services. And we have to work together with our other departments, too. It's not just strength conditioning. How can fueling support the strength conditioning? How can the physical therapy support S&C and the athlete and, and their training schedule? It, everything works together. And the more you indulge in our services, the better product you're going to get in the end. Did you have a Did you have a point where you were like, you went, you kind of transitioned from kind of being nervous to being completely comfortable around all the athletes. Yeah, there was a time when, um, when I was interviewing, actually, I was super nervous because I had our, our, our director, three VPs there. And then I had an athlete and, um, I was, I was kind of warming up and doing some stuff. But at that point I was like, Hey, you've earned it. You've worked your butt off to be here enjoy it, live in the moment and be present. There are situations where you get some of the higher profile or your, your superstars, if you will. And it gets a little nerve wracking at times, but in the end, you're a specialist, right? This is my expertise. And that's why they came to us. You have to be confident because if they smell that, you know, that's like sm smelling blood, like sh blood in the water is a shark. So I, I would say at times, but being here two years, I think I've, I've warmed up to it and, and done my homework to speak to our and for example, our VP of athlete development, Forrest Griffin, getting tips from him on how to engage with athletes. Do you have any guys or, or girls that have come in and you've kind of been a little starstruck? Maybe not necessarily that you worked with, but just seen seen around and cross paths with? No, other than UFC fighters? Or UFC fighters or anyone else that has come to the PI? I've been fortunate in my last position where I got exposed to professional football. So I interned with the Buffalo Bills a couple years ago. So seeing the high levels of athletes and, and celebrities out there, and even in my last position, there would be 
you could have some famous people walking around in the hotel in the gym. I was fortunate to be around that to not be starstruck. At, at first you see him, you want to take a picture, right? Or you want to get an autograph. But at this level, at the end of the day, it, it's my job and, and, and I have to be professional in, in all regards. But yeah, there's, there's a couple of athletes that might show up and be like, oh my gosh, yeah, look who's here. But you got to take a deep breath, you know, and and realize where you're at in, in, in your career, your, your position. I have had an intern take a, a picture with someone once, and I had to tell him, hey, that's not that's not allowed. I, I guess I should have put that in the handbook, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd probably do the same thing. I'd be, I'd be like, <laughs> hey, only so who me. are some of the – yeah, for sure. Who are some of the people that you work uh, most closely with in terms of fighters? Right now, locally, three of the athletes I work with are Puna Soriano, who you already interviewed, I believe, right? Jojo Calderwood, Vince Morales. Those are the some of the three I'm working with right now locally. Some of the names, we actually just went through our list today, which is crazy. I have about 20 total right now, and it, it grows, and sometimes it might regress depending on the levels of engagement from the athlete. But remote-wise, uh, guy uh, Derek Brunson, Johnny Walker, Macy Barber, just a few that I'll write programs for some of them. We'll consult. We'll talk about training schedules, talk about recovery, and meet with other departments. Do you ever have to – I'm assuming you don't because these are world-class athletes. But do you ever have to, like, nag someone to, to do something that they might not want to do, I guess? I'm not sure how to word the question, but do you kind of have to, like – is there any motivation involved as opposed to just coaching? That's a good question. At this level, you would like to say no, right? Because it's professional sports. And for the most part, not really. But everyone's wired different, right? You might need athletes that need more education. You might need athletes that need more motivation, such as raising your voice or clapping and yelling. It really depends on the athlete and will adapt in each situation some might like really loud music some might like really chill music you know and it's really up to you as a coach to really feel the environment and understand what's going on in, in their personal life stressors professional life but there are times where i i do have to talk to specific athletes hey you got to take this measurement or i need you to record this or you got to get on your nutrition a little more or talk to our dietitians about how you're feeling because that's what it's all about. At this level, every athlete trains hard, but it's how you're recovering between sessions. If we can make a little bit of an influence and, and two are better than one in terms of brains and working together as a team, I think it goes a long way in saving face for the other departments. And like I talked about earlier, you know, when you get all the services together, you're going to get that much better of a product and that much better of a, a production and performance. Mm -hmm. So how, do you, how does your philosophy change between fighters? So say like someone like JoJo and then um, who's like a smaller weight class compared to a guy like Johnny Walker, who's at 205. <laughs> Two totally different athletes. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> but getting to know them and how they're wired and then their goals, right? And the strategies for their goals, they want to be champions. What does it look like to win a championship at 125 versus 205? What's the average fight length, what are the KPIs, so the key performance indicators of the sport, but also of that weight class, and then what it takes to win in respect to that, right? So if you're looking at fights being at least eight eight minutes long now, when back then they're a lot shorter and fighters are becoming more technically sound, they're training smarter, their coaching's that much better, 
the recovery is better. How can we mold that to what that athlete is looking for? And then studying the tape, we'll do something called a briefing where we meet with our interdisciplinary team and the coaches to look at the fight strategy for that specific fighter, that their opponent, right? And in, in our fight camps, are we harnessing strengths and making sure that we're working on what they're good at and still working on some of the limitations, but not taking away too much of that because the mental game is so critical and having the confidence to feel like you're at 100%, like you're going to win that fight no matter what. And then communicating with the fight team and the coaches and how we can maybe adjust or are they having a week where they might be flat? They're not as sharp. Do they need a deload? And continually adapting each session or week and, and communication is key. So, um, so like, for example, um, John Jones's fight at UFC 239, he got, he kind of got chewed up by leg kicks by Tiago Santos. So say, say an athlete was going to fight John, would you, and their, their main, their main attack would be leg kicks. Would you work more on the lower body for that camp? We like to have a well-rounded approach to our training. And that brings up a good point. Based on their strengths, if they're a, a stand-up, a striker, or a grappler, we might adjust our training based upon that style, specifically for the camp, right? Lower body resilience, yes, you could say that. But they'll get a lot of that in their tactical training. We don't want to be too sports-specific. If you wanted to be sports-specific, you could bring the barbell in the octagon, which really doesn't exist, right? In, the, in terms of that, we would talk with our team and, and our collective brains as, as strength conditioning and see what areas or what exercise do you think would exhibit more of a transferability to the sport where we could see better results in their training because you don't want to get too specific but it's got to be in that level where you do, do see some transfer and they're listening adaptations where you see the results you're looking for mm -hmm. and then you said something about kpi which i wasn't familiar with can you kind of expand on that yeah key performance indicators what we're looking at is the ways tactically and then strategy wise to approach that sport and, and the demands, right? Looking at maybe significant strikes or takedowns or clinch time or ground time. And then for that specific weight class, what does it look like? And with that fighter, you know, and studying the tails of the tape and the fight metrics that they have at their disposal to look at and, and studying what's going on in the way that individual fights. And that goes a long way because if you understand the sport and the demands, you can have that much bigger or that much more specific of an approach to your training model. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to talk about how, how different fighters lead up to fight week. So what are some things that you'll do, say like three or four weeks out from a fight compared to the week of uh, during fight week or um, fight day if they – they train during that time it's so unique to each fighter right as i talked about earlier there's really three categories mm -hmm. so were they in a performance based camp a weight management weight loss or mitigating hypertrophy camp or a, a rehab rehab meaning so they might have an injury that's they can still fight but we're working around that you know and then what does that look like for a full eight-week camp, was it a short-notice fight? Was it a 12-week and he had a four-week pre-camp, two- to four-week pre-camp? But every fighter is different in terms of how they deload and taper. Deload and tapering can be anywhere from two to three weeks. 
seven to 15 days is the general recommendation. And so what that means is you're getting a decrease in overall volume, but you still want to keep the intensity up. And when we're consulting with athletes, some athletes may want to lift on a Monday. Some fighters may want to lift heavy on a Monday. Now, is that the smartest thing? I can't say yes or no. It really depends on that individual and how they respond to that training. And if they feel like they need it, is it more of a mental thing? Are there exercises that we can substitute to give them that confidence where they can still get something out of it and it becomes a win-win compromise? Or are some with that fight week just getting off a plane and you have jet lag? The effects of jet lag, a lot of people don't really talk about it that much in terms of traveling from east to west west to east, dehydration in your routine, how you handle those stressors before you get there, and the approach with your overall training schedule and your coaches too. What does it look like from the deload each week? Because usually about four to five weeks is when we start to feel it. Eight weeks out, is there a deload? And then are we building back off for another two weeks and then drop it down again? Do you, uh, talking to fighters, do you, do you notice any, um, <clears throat> like when they fly, like I remember Alexander Volkanovsky flew in and he said that the flight really hurt his weight cut. Do you, have you talked to any fighters that have shared that? Not to my knowledge, but I knew, do know flying across, you know, over three time zones, it can really affect the body physiologically, right? Because then you have your, your internal clock, your circadian rhythms, which are affected through sleep and light exposure, and then your routine, right? Are you eating at the right times or at the same times? Have you changed that? Have you tried to go to bed a little later? And then is there any swelling that you might experience from the flight? Some guys will wear compression garments. Some will wear comfortable clothes. It's really personal preference. Are you having any stimulants on the flight? Are you drinking alcohol? Are you not? Are you practicing good nutritional habits? Are you practicing good lifestyle habits as well? you know, to mitigate any of those effects and doing your homework in preparation for the fight. And then I wanted to talk, um, I didn't get to it earlier, but I want to talk about what do you think is the ratio between people who focus on more of conditioning compared to the strength aspect um, leading up to a fight? So in those types of situations, it, I, I keep saying it depends because each fighter, everything is athlete-centered. It's so individual-based, and that's where we utilize our testing to evaluate a snapshot of where they're at and then re-evaluate throughout the camp, right? A 125-weight class might have a way higher motor in the, in the flyweights versus a heavyweight. What are the levels of conditioning, capacity versus power, and how are they managing that gas tank? Because a lot of these guys will train hard, but we want to talk about how are they managing it, right? Versus the styles. Are they grappling? Are they are they caught in a clinch? And then they have to stand up. Are they buffering the lactate, the hydrogen ions properly, which is based off their conditioning? Some of that, but how the levels of sports master. If you got guys that have been in it there for, for 20 years, you know, a lot of it is just skin in the game and really adjusting and knowing how to work smarter. And how are you managing that time throughout the fight, but still coaching to that athlete's strengths? It's such a divergent sport. You have so many in so many sports in one, right? You got jujitsu, yeah. you got wrestling, you got kickboxing, Muay Thai, boxing, all these divergent sports in one complex physiological 
adaptations that result as the sport as a whole, you could be in high intensity flurries efforts, and then you could be in paused efforts. You could be in stand up recovery, and then you could be back down. You know, it, it really depends on that style and then how that athlete fights and, and how did you practice, right? Uh, a good coach once told me like the day of a fight is not the day to try something new or the day of big competition is not the day to try something new, whether that's nutrition or that's training wise, you know, what have you done in the preparation is so critical with that consistency and competency and practicing those habits that you've been drilling throughout the whole camp and trusting yourself and having that confidence and your team as well. So I know back in the day, like, uh, for example, Evander Holyfield, when he was moving up to heavyweight in boxing, um, his coach didn't like the idea of him lifting weights. And I know that's kind of changed as time's gone on. But do you have any thoughts about how, um, like, the big three of bench, clean, and squat affect fighters? I think all those are, are great, and they can be tools. And, and in the end, we have to understand, you know, exercises – specifically are tools that we can use for the bigger picture in developing that specific athlete. It's not the end all be all, you know, there might be coaches that are more into weightlifting, Olympic weightlifting exercises versus plyometrics, jumps, skips, sprints, or med ball throws as power, as you talked about clean, right? Or you have strength exercises, whether it's back squat, front squat, split squat, unilateral, meaning single leg work or, you know, you know, um, other unilimb work or, or sorry, just single limb work? Or are you looking at, um, I'm sorry, what was the other exercise? It was, oh, yeah. Looking at possible injuries that the athletes have too, especially in shoulder, right, with the bench press. Can they go overhead? Should they not be going overhead? Or how much training do they have when they're actually punching and pushing and striking? versus could we be better off with a push-up or a two-to-one ratio of pulling and knowing the overhead stability for that athlete should we be going overhead that's when we consult with our sports medicine team and and other areas to fill the gaps in in programming and that th there isn't you know an, one exercise that's the nlbr the holy grail it's picking from this battery and choosing the ones that best fit that specific fighter um, the UFC has kind of been like the first the first sport back, if you will, um, <clears throat> from this pandemic. And a lot of fights have been happening in Vegas. I don't know how long they're going to be doing that, if they're going to do that past Abu Dhabi or not. So what has fight week been like for you um, and the other people at the at the PI, given that the fights are here in Vegas? Our capacity is a little bit different compared to nutrition and sports medicine. In terms of fight week, that's when the athletes don't really engage with us as much in terms of training because what's most important is the weight descent and then making mm -hmm. sure that they feel good with working with physical therapy. Are they getting any tune-ups to make sure everything feels good? But that's where we would host maybe light strength conditioning sessions for shakeouts, whether that's a stimulation workout, a priming workout, or maybe mobility and stretching to alleviate some of the jet lag. But at this point, the fighter is going through that weight descent to prepare for a weight cut. We want to make sure that we're working with other departments and supporting them any way that we can. We can help with them getting accustomed to the facility, any type of equipment that they may need. It's a little bit different in terms of the other disciplines. 
but we will see a lot of athletes coming in that want to test with us. You might have athletes on flight teams that are coaching that want to utilize their services. Hey, I've heard about your strength, power diagnostics. How can we utilize that? Hey, I've heard about your energy system diagnostics. Can that help me with conditioning or programming better and making better decisions in terms of training programs? There are good values to having the flights here for us, for sure. And, and that's why we like having them because we can begin and, and instill these new relationships in terms of what we can provide to them with um with uh strength and conditioning not being as big of a part of um the fighters fight week do you do you guys go to any events or do you guys stay in vegas we actually stay in vegas yeah mostly because of we have so many fighters that we work with locally and remotely we have athletes that need us pretty much all the time and want to work not need us but want to work with us yeah so we don't travel we don't travel so I'm assuming you're not going to Fight Island, you or Bo? Or <laughs> no, Bo is not, no. Not to my knowledge, maybe. He, but he hasn't told me, no. So what do you think about this whole Fight Island thing? I think it's super exciting for us fans. Yeah, to me it's awesome so that we can get our international fighters an ability to fight and compete. I miss working with a ton of them. A bunch of them left during the beginning of the pandemic and i haven't seen them because we have one i have one in brazil one that just went to sweden and and they're all over the world and and it'd be nice to see them compete again and support them in any way that we can and bringing fights you know to the to the fans is awesome and keeping sports going it's really cool to be a part of and support the the organization mm-hmm. there's a lot of good fights that they're putting on there uh, i think dana's doing a really good job last thing i want to ask you though is about Dana, have you ever worked with Dana or guys like Rogan or Anik or DC when they're commentating in Vegas to get a workout in maybe at the PI? No, but sometimes we'll see other other commentators come in. Uh, Paul Felder will come in and he'll work with some of our team and uh, Bo will consult him as well. Uh, we'll see Dana walking around from time to time doing his job. And yeah, no, it's, it's awesome to see these guys out here and contribute and show that we can service them as well and really be a value to the UFC fighter. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard since you guys opened up, I've heard nothing but great things about you guys. All the fighters rave about you. Um, so you guys are all doing a really good job. Um, I want to thank you for coming on. I know you're kind of a busy man, so I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Thanks for having me. Yep, for sure. Matt Crawley, everybody.